Lord, we want to turn to your word now and we ask you to address us. And just like we know that we were undeserving for salvation, we know we're undeserving to be addressed by you, Lord. And yet you do it anyways. Our sins are so great, but your mercy's more. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We come, Lord, leaned into your mercy and praising you for your word. God, we'd be lost. We'd be in a fog. But you've given us your word. And we believe it and we love it. Lord, we stand on it. But even here, God, even here in your word, unless you awaken our ear to hear as those being taught, Just pass us by. God, please, awaken our ears to hear as those being taught. Open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. God, I pray that through the meditation of Psalm 96, God, that you would do a mighty work in our church. And you would bring down kingdoms of Satan And you would raise up glory to your name among all the nations. God, that you would raise up missionaries from this church. That you would raise up martyrs. Raise up a people, Lord, zealous. Jealous for your glory among the nations. God, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Habakkuk 2.14, you don't have to flip there. But it tells us that one day, the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Think about that for a minute. Like the waters cover the sea? How wet is the ocean? And in the same way, the earth is going to be wet with the glory of the praise and the knowledge of God. A little bit later, Habakkuk 3.3, it says that the earth is going to be full of His praise. That there's going to be this resounding from the earth of the praise to the living God, worship to God. Now that's going to happen with or without you. With or without me and with or without Grace Community Church. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that He is God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be praised in all the earth, with or without us. With or without us. Malachi 1.11 says, From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name will be praised. My name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts, with or without us. One of the foundational uh, convictions or the foundational passions that led to the planning of Grace Community Church, this church, was this. It was 
All nations. It was all nations. Glory to Christ. Jealous for the glory of Christ among all the nations. Get the gospel to unreached people groups. It was one of the foundational passions that led to the the beginning of this church. Do you all remember that? You who are here, do you remember it? Do you remember the uh, like a wave from the living God. You know, we had, a, we had a desire to make disciples. We had a desire to preach the gospel. God helped us there. And like a father, it's like he put his hand under our chin. And he lifted up our hand and said, look. Look at the nations. Look at the unreached ones. And it led to the planning of Grace Community Church. And that was around about seven years ago or so. And we were asking, we had this conviction, and yet we were asking God, God, help us. How are we going to do this? How are we going to get your gospel to the nations, to the unreached people groups? And since then, over that time of seven or so years, God has graciously allowed us to personally send out seven missionaries and partner with several other missionaries God's allowed us to be a part of work going on in North Korea, in Peru, in Bolivia, in India, and Iraq. God's graciously given us our brother Paul from Moldova, who's an intern here who will soon be returning to Moldova, and we'll be connected there. And then today, we look to send out two more missionaries to China. And that's what we want to do today. So God has been so gracious to us. (laughs) He's been so gracious to us. Um, Grace Community Church, let me ask you this question. Has that fire for the glory of Christ among all nations increased over the past seven years? Or has the flame been snuffed out? Has that fire increased in your soul? There's a little phrase in... 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. I'm just taking away that, that little phrase. Fan into flame. That Here's this fire that was burning. Fan it into a higher flame, into a hotter flame. Are you, are you burning brighter for Christ's glory among the nations? Or has Satan snuffed it out? Older members of Grace Community Church, not age-wise, I just mean you who've been here since the beginning. How's that fire for Christ's glory among the nation? Among the nations. Newer members that have come around more recently, maybe you weren't here at the very beginning. How's that fire? Have you adopted that, that passion, that zeal? I want to see my Savior sung to, like we just sang in every people group on planet Earth. Churches must burn for Christ's glory among the nations. If they don't, like healthy legs that never get used, the church will grow weak, eventually get sick, and eventually die. Now, a long time ago, um, I think it was 2013, if I remember right, I taught an introduction on the book of Psalms. We were about to enter into some time teaching through the Psalms, and so I gave an introduction to the book of Psalms. 
And here's something that I said in that introduction, that, that these psalms, they teach us how to think and they teach us how to feel. They shape our thinking and they shape our emotions, our, our, our affections, our feeling. So you read the Psalms and you got all this glorious content about God and who He is and what He's like and what He calls us to. And at the same time in these Psalms, you've got all this expression of emotions of worship to God. So they shape how we think and how we feel. It's this glorious collision of, of mind and affections. We love God with our mind and with our affections. The book of Psalms, I said back then, the book of Psalms is a rebuke to the emotionless theologian. Got a sound doctrine in order, but it's not a felt reality. It's also a rebuke to the mindless worshiper that loves the emotions but doesn't love the content, that which is supposed to lead you to glorify Christ. And so Psalm 96, with that sort of introduction, that sort of understanding of the book of Psalms, Psalm 96 is going to tell us how to think. It's going to shape how we, not just think, but how we feel about Christ's glory among the nations. How to think and feel about Christ's glory among the nations. So we're going to read Psalm 96 together. I want to encourage you to step out of the classroom mode for just a minute and hear a call to worldwide worship of Jesus. Hear the call from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. and Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy for He cut before the Lord. For He comes... For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Psalm 96. This is a, the first thing I want you to see about Psalm 96. This is a, the great missionary hymn. It's what Charles Spurgeon called it. 
He called it the Great Missionary Hymn. Now notice the global focus. So as the Great Missionary Hymn, notice the global focus of Psalm 96. There's 12 little phrases scattered throughout this psalm. 12 little phrases that are global focus phrases. And I want us to look at those. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Here it is. All the earth. Think about that. All the earth. Sing to the Lord. I've read things that call churches to action. I've read things that call cities to action. I've read things that call whole countries to action. But this is addressing planet earth. Now how can... How can this psalm, what kind of song can demand something of the whole earth? Hey earth, wake up and sing to your creator. What kind of psalm, what kind of hymn can do something like this? This has always been God's plan. Genesis chapter 1 said that God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, both male and female. He created them, and then he blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The plan from Genesis chapter 1, that the earth might be filled with the image and glory of God. These people created in my image, fill the earth. Of course, we all know about the fall of man. And how man rebelled against God and the image of God in man was marred. Listen, it's still going to be fulfilled. It's always been the plan that it would be fulfilled. Not through just birth, but rebirth. That it would be fulfilled through the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. Make disciples of all nations. The earth is going to be filled with the glory and image of God. Not through just procreation, but through through gospel proclamation, the earth will be filled with the image and glory of God. Now this is going to be fulfilled so, quick, quick, so completely, so listen to it. All the earth, sing to the Lord. It's going to be fulfilled so completely that Romans 8 even speaks about creation itself. How it's enslaved because of our sin, but one day it's going to be set free. And we get a little picture of that in verse 11 and 12, don't we? Hey, let the heavens be glad. Even the earth, let it rejoice. Even the sea, let the sea, let the creation, let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the fields exult in all that's in the fields. Even the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy as they're let loose and all the earth sings glory to King Jesus. And this little this worship gathering that we're in, and that moment, just a moment ago, when we're singing to our King, it's beautiful, but it's nothing like that's going to be. Nothing like that worship gathering that's to come. Now another phrase, another global phrase is found in verse 3. And really it's, it's two of them in verse 3. You see it there? Declares glory. Here it is. Among the nations... And his marvelous works among all the peoples. So you got among the nations and among all the peoples. We're talking about nations in this song, in this psalm. We're talking about 
all the peoples, that's plural, not just all the people, but all the peoples, plural, as in all the people groups, every people group and every nation on planet earth. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonderful works among all the peoples. Now wait a minute, I thought that nations talk was New Testament stuff. And yet here we find it in Psalm 96. And where did the nations, the peoples, where did all this come from? If you remember Genesis chapter 11, you can take it back further than Psalm 96, can't you? Think about Genesis 11. All the people, they were one people on earth with one language. And they began to uh, build this tower, the Tower of Babel, to make a name for themselves. And in their sin, God scattered them. And they became people confused in different languages spread out over the earth. And thus is the creation of nations and languages and tribes and tongues and peoples. It's Genesis chapter 11. And then you get to Genesis chapter 12, the next chapter, and, and right after the creation of nations, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, there's this promise that a Messiah is coming that's going to bless every one of them, going to bless all nations. And that is the promise of Genesis. That a Messiah is coming to bless all nations. Through our sin, God brought about this division and this confusion of languages, but He promises He's going to redeem it. But He's not going to redeem it by, by knocking out all the differences and making everybody one language. Rather, He's going to, through the blood of Jesus Christ, bring together a people for Himself from every nation, singing praise to God from every language, and it's going to be harmony. It's going to be beautiful. Revelation 5, 9 gives us, a, gives us a little picture of that, if you remember. It says, gives us a glimpse into heaven. It says they sang a new song. They sang a new song. They're singing in heaven. They sang a new song. What did they sing? Worthy is the Lamb to take that scroll and open its seals. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who's redeemed us out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's going to be a beautiful worship gathering. Another global phrase is in verse 5. It says, for all the gods of the peoples. So again, we're talking about the nations. We're talking about the earth. We're talking about of the peoples in verse 5. Now, why must the world be commanded to sing to their Creator? Why doesn't it just come natural? Why doesn't it come natural to sing to our Creator, because of sin. Because of sin. Salvation must be preached among all the nations because sin has reached all the nations. The kingdom must be spread to all peoples because sin has made it to all peoples. Verse 5 shows our problem. The world's greatest, most difficult problem, and it's idolatry. It says, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. All over planet earth, there's idolatry. There's atheistic idolatry. Agnostic idolatry. Hinduistic idolatry. Islamic idolatry. Catholic idolatry. Nominally Christian idolatry. It's everywhere. And all of it, it says here, is worthless. Gods that cannot save. 
Things that are put on the throne of your affections and love that are not Christ and they're worthless. You know how sad that is? That they live their days out to the end and it's worth nothing. None of the worship poured out on those idols is worth anything. Worthless idolatry. And if the nations don't turn from it, verse 10 here says, He will judge the peoples with equity. Verse 13 says, He's coming. He's coming to judge the world. He'll judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His faithfulness. He will judge. And they're going to have to stand before God. All the peoples are going to have to stand before God one day without Christ, with nothing but their idolatry, and they'll burn in hell forever. And this psalm, Psalm 96, calls the nations, Nations! Turn away from your worthless idolatry to Christ. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the One that came to save. Come and sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 7 is another phrase. A global phrase. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. I love that. O, O families of the peoples. This is a reminder to us that when we're thinking about His gospel spreading to all nations, His glory, His worship spreading to all nations, we're not just thinking about uh, your world map with 195 countries there. We're talking about not just the nations, but the peoples, the people groups. And not just the people groups, but the families of the peoples. Not just 195 countries on planet earth, but thousands of people groups all over this world. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Same word used back in Genesis 12.3, that the Messiah is going to come to bless all the families of the earth. Another place in Psalm 22, if you remember Psalm 22 is that psalm where it starts off saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Remember Jesus on the cross and He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a Jewish man that knows the psalm, thinks of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 lays out, they pierced my hands and my feet. And before it ever happened, Psalm 22 is describing the death of Christ. But listen, not only that, it describes the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. And in Psalm 22, it uses the same phrase in verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families, there it is, all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. There's a really interesting study, if you want to dig more into that, in the book called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. A really fascinating study about what it is we're aimed at in this global mission to all nations. What does it mean? And he digs into that. I would recommend it to you. Now the rest of these, there's seven more global phrases. Let me just say them in verse 9 through 13 for time's sake. Verse 9, you've got the phrase, all the earth. Verse 10, you've got the nations, and then the world, and then the peoples. Verse 13, you've got the earth, and then the world, and then the peoples. This is a a global hymn in a Jewish hymn book. 
global hymn in a Jewish hymn book. Now, this missionary hymn exposes the missionary heart of God. Can you see it? It exposes to us the missionary heart of God. And that has always been God's heart. Always been God's heart. Before time began, when He elected a bride for Himself, it was an all-nations bride. When God sent His Son to die and purchase a people for Himself, it was an all-nations people. It's always been the heart of God. The nations has never been plan B. It's not Old Testament, this is about Israel. Uh-oh, didn't work out, let's go nations. That's not the picture. It's always been about all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's always been the heart of God. Is that your heart? Examine it this morning. Is that your heart? Every Christian's blood should boil for Christ's glory among the nations. Every Christian jealous for their Savior to be exalted in all the world, that the whole earth would sing praises to Him. Is that your heart? Do you add the heart that's revealed of God in this psalm? Now, Satan's main objective right now is to keep us from having that heart and to keep this gospel from going to those nations. You know, his main objective in the Old Testament was to squash the seed of the woman. His, his main objective in the Old Testament was to keep that Christ from coming. And he failed. Jake read Revelation 12 to us last week where he stood over the woman as she get, got ready to give birth to the son. But he was born, the one that would rule the nations with a rod of iron. And he was born anyways. And he died and he's buried and risen from the dead, ascended on high. And Satan turns to make war it says in Revelation 12, to make war with the saints, with those who have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God, like this one, make disciples of all the nations. He knows he has a short time, and he's trying to lengthen it. Has he snuffed out the fire in your heart for the nations? Now, another thing I want you to see in Psalm 96 is in Psalm 96, we see the goal and the fuel of missions, which is worship. We see the goal and fuel of missions, which is worship. Now, what is worship? Worship is ascribing worth to God. Okay, it's... Um, even if you look at the etymology of the word worship, it's, it's worth-ship. It's worth-ship. It's, it's ascribing worth to God. It's attributing worth to God. It's something that has to begin in the heart to be real worship. Mark 7, 6 tells us there's a way you can honor Him with your lips, but your heart be far from Him. You can worship Him with your lips, but your heart be far away from Him. So it begins in the heart, and it expresses itself. Worship to the living God. It's a heart that screams, You are worthy, O Lord! And then it shows itself in all kind of ways. Singing to praying to obedience, all kind of ways. Worship to the living God. Now we see that in Psalm 96. We see worship. Verse 9 uses the actual word. Verse 9 says, worship the Lord. So it actually uses the word 
worship. But then we see these expressions of worship all throughout Psalm 96. Four times we see, sing, sing. One of those says, sing for joy. It's a way to worship God that we count Him as worthy and glorious and beautiful and trustworthy. And so we sing. It's worship to God. We also see fear and trembling as an expression of worship. In verse 4, it says, He is to be feared above all the gods. Verse 9 says, Tremble before Him all the earth. Fear and trembling before God because our God is majestic and glorious and who can stand? We've got the phrase, bless His name in verse 2. Bless His name. We don't use that much. Psalm 34 was quoted earlier. That might help. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Worship the Lord, sing to Him, fear and trembling before Him. Bless His name. Three times it says, ascribe to Him. Ascribe to Him, O families of the people. Ascribe to Him glory and strength. Ascribe to Him the glory due His name. You want to talk about an impossible command? Ascribe to Him. It means worship is giving something to Him. To ascribe something, to give it to Him in response to His greatness. And He's so great, you'll never completely be done. Ascribe to Him the glory due His name. It goes on at the end of Psalm 96 and speaks about worshiping God as gladness in God. Or as rejoicing in God. Or as exulting in God. Joy in God magnifies His worth. It's one thing to say He's worthy. It's another thing to find your heart rejoicing in Him. It's obvious He is worthy. And we also see in Psalm 96 that worship is expressed even through a life of holy living. Holiness. Verse 9, worship Him in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 96 is calling the whole world into the worship of God. Worship. Worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. I want you to think about this. Worship's the most foundational reason for your existence. Do you know that? The most foundational reason that you exist. You say, what is the goal of my existence? Why did God create me to worship Him? Isaiah 43, verse 7. My people whom I created for my glory... My people whom I created for my glory. Isaiah 43, verse 21. These people I formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Therefore, me, what's the fundamental reason for your existence? Worship God, glorify God, declare His praise. It's the reason you breathe. The most foundational reason, not just for your existence, but for your salvation is the worship of God. Isaiah 43 also, verse 25, it says, I, I am He who blots out your transgression for my own sake. Why would you save me, Lord? For my own sake. I did it for my glory. I did it for my praise. You exist for His glory and worship. You were saved for His glory and worship. So what's the goal of missions? What's the goal of missions? 
What's the most foundational reason for doing missions? Is it obedience to the, to the Great Commission? Matthew 28, verse 18 through 19. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. As important as that is, it's not ultimate. Is the reason that we, is the goal of missions just the love of people? As important as that is, the love of people, don't you know? Don't you know that worthless idolatry is everywhere and people are dying and they're going to be judged and they're going to go to, they're going to, go to hell? Is that the ultimate reason for missions? And as important as that is, no, it's not. The most ultimate reason, the goal of missions is true worship of Christ in every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's what Psalm 96 is calling the nations to do. Sing to Him. All the earth, worship Him. All the nations, declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. Psalm 96 is calling the world to do what it was created to do. To worship Christ. Now we see that, let me read this little glimpse in Revelation chapter 7. A little glimpse into heaven. Reason for missions. The goal of missions, verse 9, Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Isn't that beautiful? You can't number this group of people, and they're from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you picture it? And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. They worshipped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the goal. It's the goal of missions. White hot worship of Jesus Christ in every nation, tribe, and tongue on planet earth. Now, I want to read to you uh, a, a quote from that book I mentioned a moment ago. Now, it's a famous quote. It's very well known. Some of you may know it. It's a quote that I believe shook a generation. This is from Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper, and it says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You understand that? Why do missions? Why send someone to Iraq? Why send them to China? Why? Worship of Christ is lacking there. He's worthy of praise in every nation, tribe, and tongue. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal 
of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Psalm 97.1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 67, verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Worship is the goal of missions. And also, as I said, worship is the fuel of missions. So worship is the beginning and it's the end. It sparks the mission and it's what the mission is aimed at. It's the fuel of the mission as well. Why? Because you cannot commend that which you don't cherish. What is it that makes me turn to my wife and say, baby, you've got to try a bite of this cake? Because I love it. It's good. What is it that, that when we come home from work, and our kids meet us at the door and say, Daddy, you've got to come see this. Come quick. Why are they evangelizing us? Why are they so persuasive? Why are they so persistent? Why? Because they see something that is glorious to them. You can't commend, commend that which you don't cherish. Let me continue this quote in this book. Worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and the beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare His glory among the nations. Psalm 96, verse 3. Worship in Psalm 96 is the fuel and goal of missions. Now, one more thing I want you to see in Psalm 96 is we see mission strategy. In Psalm 96, we see mission strategy. We see um, how we're going to reach this goal. If the goal is the worship of Christ in all nations, how are we going to reach this goal? Well, Psalm 96 gives us worship, or excuse me, missions strategy. And here's what it says. It says, tell. It says, declare. It says, say. Look at it in verse 2. Verse 2, the second part of verse 2 says, tell of His salvation from day to day. Verse 3, declare. His glory among the nations. Verse 10, say, say something, say among the nations. It's very, probably reminds you of Romans 10, verse 13, 14, where it says, it says in Romans 10 that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call on all the nations, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it says, but how will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching to them? And how will they preach unless they're sent? What's the mission strategy? Declare the truth to them. 
Say it. Open your mouth and speak the truth of Christ to the nations. Now, there's a really bad quote out there that you've probably heard, and it's already been beat half to death. Let me take one more shot at it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I know most of you all think that's wrong, and it is wrong. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Wait a minute, this psalm is saying use words. Mission strategy, tell them. Tell of His salvation, declare His glory. Say this among them, telling you what to say. So I say, we revise it. And this will be, a, maybe this could be a final blow. Okay? Let's revise the quote to say something like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use a loudspeaker. <laughs> now that's somebody else's quote. I don't want to take that to myself, but somebody else gave that idea, and I liked it. All right, let's take each one of these phrases. Tell, declare, say. Let's take each one of these phrases real quick. So if we look at 96, verse 2. So verse 2. It says, tell, tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell him what? Mission strategy. You got to tell him something. You got to get among the nations and tell him something. What are you going to tell him? Tell them of his salvation. Don't you know it? The nations don't know they need to be saved. Most of them think they're fine. Go there and tell them of their need for salvation. Go there and tell them of their sin. Tell them of the judgment to come. And tell them that there's a Savior. When they come under conviction of sin and they're, they're feel fearful of that judgment to come, tell them of a Savior. Tell them of Christ who was crucified to save a people to Himself. And that if they would just trust in Him, they could be saved. Tell them of His salvation. Tell them how He takes dead people and makes them alive. Blind people and makes them see. Go tell them about that. Tell him of his salvation. It even says here, be persistent, right? It says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Don't get discouraged. Missionary, don't get discouraged. There's people that won't hear. There's people that won't listen. There's people that will hate what you say. But don't be discouraged. And don't change your strategy. But tell of his salvation from day to day to day to day. Be persistent. Acts chapter 5, last verse. It says, they did not cease preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. They had been beaten. They had been bruised. They had been in prison. And it says, but they did not cease. Day after day, they told of His salvation. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. May it be said of us 25 years from now that Grace Community Church did not cease preaching Christ. May it be said of our missionaries years from now, they did not cease preaching Christ. Look at verse 3, the second one. It says, Declare... Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the people. So where? Where is this declaration got to go out? Where? It says among the nations. It says among all the peoples. Grace Community Church. We're to be global shepherds. Lift up our eyes and see where on this planet is gospel proclamation not happening. And we got to get it there. What do we say? Verse 3 says, declare His glory. 
That's his person. Tell him about the person of Christ. Tell him about the person of God. Tell him he's omniscient. He knows everything. Tell him, tell him he's omnipotent, that he can do whatever he pleases. Tell him of his faithfulness to his word. Tell him everything about him. Tell him about Christ who took on flesh, who came to rescue, who came to save. And it says, tell them of his, it says, his marvelous works. Go to the nations and tell them about his marvelous works, especially that marvelous work of the finished, that finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Tell them how when he went to the cross, that our sin was laid upon Jesus and he took our wrath. Go tell them about how Jesus took the punishment for sinners. Go tell them about that marvelous work. It goes on. Tell them about His greatness in verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Go tell them about His greatness. Go tell them about the superiority of Jesus over all gods. He is to be feared above all gods, it says here in verse 4 and 5. Tell them about how He's the Creator. Verse 5. For the Lord made the heavens. Tell them about His majestic splendor, verse 6. Tell them about His strength and His beauty. His strength, you can trust Him because He's strong. His beauty, He's more than trustworthy. He is beautiful to behold. You can trust Him and you can adore Him. Go tell Him about Him. Go declare that among the nations. Last one here in verse 10. It says, Say, I love it when it tells me what to say. Say among the nations. Say among the nations. Do it among the nations. Do, say what among the nations? Say, the Lord reigns. Tell them about how the Lord reigns. Tell them that not only did He come and die, but He's resurrected on the third day. He ascended on high, and a man is seated on the throne of heaven, and He's waiting till His enemies are made His footstool. And he, the only reason he hasn't poured out judgment on the nations thus far is his patience to save. Go tell him about that. Tell him he's reigning right now. Go warn him. It says there in verse 10 that he will judge the peoples with equity. Go warn them. Say, say, say warnings. Declare warnings about the judgment that's coming. And that's Psalm 96. And we need to make an application to this psalm, right? We're going to make a real specific application today. So we want to send out Ty and Lauren. I see y'all back there. We want to send out Ty and Lauren to China. Like... The church at Antioch in Acts 13, if you remember that, Acts 13, verse 1 through 4, it says that the Holy Spirit said, send them out to this work that I've called them. And the, they came around Paul and Barnabas and laid hands on them and sent them out. And it says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, having been sent out by that church. And so we want to do that today. We want to lay hands on Ty and Lauren and we want to send them out. This is a, a transfer of confirmation, we confirm it, brother and sister, you should go. You should go. It's a transfer of commitment. 
Third John says, send them out in a manner worthy of God. How should you send them out? In a manner worthy of God. It's a transfer of commitment that we commit to send you out in a manner worthy of God. And it's even a transfer of, in a sense, of power and, and gifting. This happened with Timothy. First and second Timothy, you can read about how this happened with him, how they laid, the eldership laid hands on him and sent him out. And, and it was so significant that Timothy could be at war. And he said, remember what happened. Well, we're about to do it in a minute. Remember what happened and wage a good warfare. It's a powerful thing. Let me just say a few things before we do that. Uh, Ty and Lauren. I can see Ty. I can't see Lauren. There she is. Um, it really is a privilege, and I think I can speak for everybody here, that it really is a privilege. I know that you guys have said that you feel like it's a privilege that y'all get to be sent out by this church. But listen, I, want you to, I, really, I hope you know this, that it's a privilege for us. It's a privilege for us. That you guys have been a blessing to this church. You guys have loved us well. You've encouraged us. You've built, it up, built us up. And it is an absolute privilege that we get a chance to lay hands on you and send you out as missionaries to China. Todd, you're a godly man, brother. You're not perfect. You got weaknesses and ways that you need to grow. And praise God, Lauren makes you so much better. <laughs> but you're a godly brother, and this church wants to confirm that. That yes and amen. Go, brother. Go in the name of Christ. Go by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, we count it a privilege we get to do this. Now, I want to mention a few things, Ty and Lauren, that, that, um, that you, you must do. So three things quickly that, hear me out, that you must, you must do this. Okay. One, you must stay white hot in worship for Christ. Because you can't command that which... You don't cherish yourself. So protect it. Protect worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let it fade that you love the Lord Jesus and you go mainly for Him. You're there to serve Him above all else. You must stay white hot in worship for Christ. Two, you must stay weak. Brother and sister, you must stay weak. Hudson Taylor was asked about why he thought God chose him, and, and Hudson Taylor said, I guess I was just one that was weak enough to trust him. You know, Psalm 147, verse 10, it says, God, do, God does not, listen to me, God does not delight in the strength of a horse. He doesn't delight in the legs of a man. He delights in those who fear him, and those who hope in his mercy. Stay weak, it's not you, it's Christ in you. And then one more thing I would say, Third thing would be to trust God for what He's given you for this work. Brother and sister, you're not lacking anything. Trust Him in what He's given you. Think about it for a minute. God has given you. You don't need anything else. God has given you His Word, which the Scripture says about itself. It's living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's given you the Gospel, the Gospel which is the power of God to save souls. He's given you the Holy Spirit who says, I'll be with you. I will be with you and you'll be my witnesses. He's given you promises. He's given you the backing of this church like we talked about a moment ago, that you can look back and wage a good warfare for this church sending you out. You're not lacking anything. 
Not that you're sufficient of yourselves, but God's made you sufficient. And so I want to encourage you to trust what God has given you. I want to say something quickly to the family. I know we got family. Ty and Lauren's families are here. And just want to say something quickly to y'all. I want to encourage you to, I know you're sad that they're leaving, and, and that makes sense. But I want to encourage you to be proud of what's going down in your son, daughter, brother, sister's life. To be proud of what God is doing in them. No higher calling. You think about it. They're not ambassadors for a mayor, a governor, or a president. They are ambassadors of the King of Glory Himself. No, no higher calling. How does the Scripture talk about this thing that your son or daughter or brother said? How does it talk about what they're about to do? It's phrases like this. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. It says, after it says, how will they believe in Him that I heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Then it says this. It says, how beautiful are the feet. God looks at what they're about to do and says, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the Scripture commands the church to send them out in a manner worthy of God. Act like they are Jesus Himself and send them out in that manner. So I want to encourage you to be proud of them and what they're doing. They could be pursuing much lesser things, like being President of the United States. Grace Community Church, they're going down into the well. They're going down into the well. How faithful will we be to hold the rope? And that's the question I put before all of us. How faithful will we be to hold the rope? To hold it for them in prayer, to hold it for them in giving, to hold it for them in encouragement. How faithful will we be to hold the rope for them?